Hey everybody, this is Rich Phipps and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Hey friends, last week we launched into this brand new message series called Ordinary to Extraordinary. And we started talking about the fact that, that sometimes in life it just feels like, like life hems you in, life Life pens you up or pins you down, and there's a, there's a season in life or, or just where you are in life that sometimes you feel stuck in that, like whether it is in a relationship or your job or a position in life, sometimes it feels like you just get stuck in life, and the danger is you begin to think that where you are stuck with that, that, that season or that even longer than a season, that that is your ordinary, and that's just always going to be your ordinary, like it's permanent, and you want your life to have an upgrade, but you're not sure how to get the upgrade, or you feel like your life is lagging, you're not sure how to get to catch up to where you thought you would be by now in life. And we talked about the fact that all of us, we go through that in life, whether you're in it now or, or you will be in it at some point, you've been in it before, uh, maybe for you, maybe for you, it's not been like a relationship or job related but maybe for you, it's more of an emotional or mental situation where you feel stuck in, in anxiety, like you're in this, this COVID cycle that you just, are we ever going to get rid of COVID? You feel like anxiety and worries just are on the rise. And you've just, you've been living in this now as, as you're ordinary. And the challenge with that is it becomes so comfortable or, or just accepted that sometimes we forget that God did not make you to be ordinary. God looks at you and said, I made you for way more than ordinary. I made you to be extraordinary. And we were, what we're doing in this message series is talking about that journey from ordinary to extraordinary. Now, I want to make sure you hear me say this very clearly, whether you're uh, here in person or if you're online, this does not mean that, that when you begin making the journey from ordinary to extraordinary, that your life with God just gets really good or life in general gets really good. That's not what we're saying. Like, this doesn't mean that your life's going to be without challenges all of a sudden. It just means you have a new strength in the midst of the challenges. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make decisions that don't carry regret. It just means you have a new north star to get you back on track where you need to be. It doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect. It just means that maybe for the first time, you find your life has real purpose. So this, this whole message series for four weeks is aimed at helping you step into and walk through the journey from ordinary to extraordinary, getting from where you are to where God tells you you can be, where God, I believe God, God wants you to be. Uh, sometimes it means changing your context. Other times it means changing you in your context. Like your relationships may not change. Your job may not change. Uh, school may not change. Your team may not change but God will change you in that. So all of that is part of the journey from moving from ordinary to extraordinary. Now, we've, recru we've recruited two guides to take us through this journey. Two people who've seen this miraculous work of God at work in their lives. Their names are Mordecai and Esther. And we'll hear from them in a, in a little bit, but they've seen firsthand what this looks like. One of them is an expat Jew. The other is this ordinary orphan girl. But at the right time, they started this journey from ordinary to extraordinary, even risking their lives to save their nation. Now, you might be thinking, does that, does that mean I have to risk my life to save my country? Well, probably not. Maybe. I don't know. But it, you, know, you, you may not feel so grand of a purpose 
But don't let that belittle what God has put you on this earth to do. You have amazing purpose that is extraordinary. And we want to help you live into that to get where God wants you to go. Like your story is not going to land in the Bible, but if your story changes one life or 10 lives or lives that go change other lives, you are making kingdom impact. You know, one thing I love about the Bible is even though those people made it in the Bible, the Bible is just chock full of a bunch of messed up lives. Like Kylie spoke about this morning, like more mess in her life than we often think about that. But the reality is that's the Bible. It is full of messed up lives that God just moved along from ordinary to extraordinary, and they did amazing things in his strength for his glory. So the reality is their story is a lot like your story. So over these four weeks, we're going to take four steps on your journey from ordinary to extraordinary. And we saw the first one last week. Last week, we talked about the very first step, which was conviction, like taking a stand. Conviction, not not conviction like, oh, I've, I've committed sin, and so now I... I feel convicted by God. That's super important. That's another topic for another day. But the conviction like, I believe so much. I believe in this so much. I'm going to stand on this. I'm going to build my life on this. This is my conviction. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you do this. You, you decide what's important for life and you build your life on it, right? Whether it's to be a good person or to be the best employee that you can be. Maybe it's just, hey, family matters or, or values matter and you build your life on those things. We do that and those are all good things. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then your conviction, what you build your life on, is in something bigger and better and stronger than those things. Those are a part of it. But if you're a follower of Jesus, your conviction is, hey, I believe so strongly that God is who he says he is, that God will do what God says he will do, and you build your life on that. That is the conviction we're talking about as the first step. Conviction is when you take a stand on what you believe to be absolutely true, the conviction that God is for you, and God really does have an amazing plan for your life. Do you believe that is true? Amen. Then you build your life on that conviction. Here's why that's so important. Because there are going to be days when you may not feel that. It may be here, but it's not here. Right? And you, you know what that's like. I'm not telling you anything you do not know. There are days or even seasons in your life when what you, what you, you stand convicted about, you stand on as your conviction, it just feels like maybe that's not really strong enough. Maybe it's not really true. There are days and seasons when you question even your conviction, and you need to be reminded that you are building your life on something that is so true it will never pass away. That's why we get to remember things like this. This is a a, a two-verse passage I put on screen last week that I asked you or invited you to memorize, because when you're going through those seasons when you're maybe even doubting the strength of your conviction, you can go back to stuff like this. Throw that on screen if you would, Melina. This is that memory verse from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. I know you've got it memorized, but I'll give you a break. Read it with me from the screen. Because of the Lord's great love... No, no, seriously, read this with me from the screen. (laughs) Together. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning, 
Great is your faithfulness. When you build your life on the conviction that God is who he says he is and God does what he says he will do, you know that you're building on something so strong and so true that even in those, those challenging days or seasons of life, you have, you have truths like this you can stand on. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed this for my own life this past week and I had the opportunity to pray over other people's lives these very words this past week. These things make a difference when your life feels stuck in ordinary. So today, we're going to take the next step from conviction into the second step of your journey from ordinary to extraordinary. And here it is. It's direction. If step number one is conviction, take a stand. Step number two is direction, make a plan. Make a plan. Like the old saying, you all know this, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? That sounds a little harsh though, doesn't it? I don't think I ever, ever planned to fail, even though I didn't make a plan. I didn't say, well, I'm going to go out and fail today. So that sounds a little harsh, but it's still kind of true, right? There's, 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 some, there's some truth in that. And, and, and the reality is, if you're looking to move out of the ordinary, that whatever you're stuck in, your best bet is to make a plan. How do you do that? So glad you asked, because we're going to walk into that together this morning. There are three moves that you really need to make to make sure that your plan puts you in the right direction. Now, let's go back to refresh our memory just a little bit more before we get into the passage today. Our two guides, as we said earlier, are Mordecai and his cousin, which we kind of think more like maybe a niece, that would be Esther. Now, Mordecai and Esther, they were Jews living in exile in the, 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 the empire called Persia. So here's what happened. Way back in 597 B.C., uh, Babylon was like the powerhouse of the world. And Babylon went south and into the land of Judah and conquered the Jews. But when they conquered the Jews, they didn't just leave the Jews there and say, we beat you, now you're ours. They, hey, they said, we beat you, you're ours, and we're taking almost all of you back with us to Babylon. That's known as the Babylonian exile in Jewish history, in biblical history. So they, they took all these Jews with them back, back to captivity in Babylon to be their servants or their slaves. And then in five, uh, 539 BC, Persia became the, the big powerhouse in the world, and Persia beat Babylon and, and brought Babylon into its empire, and the king at that point was named King Cyrus, and Cyrus took over uh, Babylon and looked at all these foreigners living there in exile, the Jews, and said, oh, if y'all want to go home, you can go home. And so some of the Jews went home, but some of the Jews stayed and the story of Mordecai and Esther takes place among the lives of those Jews that stayed in Babylon or what is now Persia. Now, at the time of Esther, the king of, of Persia was Xerxes, and his empire was more than 2.1 million square miles big. Y'all, that is bigger. That is bigger than Irwin. <laughs> that is bigger than Westmoreland County. This was bigger than the Roman Empire ever got. This was a huge, huge empire. And Xerxes is, is the king. And we believe that Mordecai was some sort of a servant, some level of servant in the palace for Xerxes. We don't know what he was exactly, but we know he hung out in and around the palace as a servant would do. We also know that Esther was an orphan. Both her mom and dad had passed, and her older cousin slash uncle, uh, Mordecai, took her in and raised her. And we also know that she was very, very easy to look at. 
How, is that a good way to say beautiful? I'll never forget one time we were in, in, in South Georgia at one of our first churches, and Marsha's mom and dad came, and Marsha's mama is this just quintessential Southern lady, and she is beautiful. It's not hard to see where Marsha gets her good looks, and we're sitting there one day uh, with, with some friends from that church. One of the guys from that church looked at Marsha and said, Marsha, your mama sure is easy to look at. <laughs> Isn't that fun? That's a good Southern thing, right? Esther was easy to look at. She was, she's, de- she's described as having a lovely figure and very beautiful. And so when the king needed a, a new queen, a new wife, and they decided to have a kingdom-wide, 2.1 million square mile wide uh, beauty contest, guess who won? Esther, right? Now, we don't ever want to minimize what that was actually like. And if you've missed last week's sermon, jump on our YouTube channel, jump on our podcast channel, uh, and listen to that because it's not like we often make it out to be. But Esther becomes uh, Xerxes' new wife. So there was a man in their kingdom who found favor with King Xerxes. And he found such fame that the king escalated him in honor above all the nobles and all the princes. Uh, his name was Haman. And Haman was, was, was so um, revered by everybody that the king commanded that when, when Haman walked by, like into the, into the castle courts, that all the servants had to bow as if he were actually the king. And when Haman walked in, everybody bowed except for one. Remember who didn't bow? Mordecai. Mordecai's faith, his conviction upon which he built his life, would not allow him to bow down to Haman. And guess who got really, really mad? Haman. Haman, like, he was eating up the attention. He's eating up all the stuff the king is laying on him. Like, you're so important, Haman. Now, we don't know what Haman did to win such favor of the king. We have no idea. We do know that the king liked money and Haman was rich. Haman offered to pay him lots of money for stuff. Maybe he just bought his way into his position. I'm glad that doesn't happen today, right? But here, don't worry, we're not, we never get political here. It's okay. But, but Haman was super, super um, uh, angry and just so like temper, red hot flaring that he found out, hey, who is this guy that will not bow down to me? Oh, that's Mordecai the Jew. The Jew! Oh, see, this is a whole new ballgame now. Because Haman was a direct descendant of the Agagites, the people who were the enemies of the Jews. And so Haman was not going to be happy with just taking Mordecai's life, because that's a no-brainer. Mordecai, you don't bow down to me, you're dead. But not only Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people. We're going to annihilate all the Jews in the whole kingdom. So Haman goes to the king, says, hey, I've got a great plan. You've got these people living among us who don't really need to be here. They, they, they're weird. They're separate. They do things different than everybody else. Let's just, let's just exterminate them all. And the king says, great idea. So he signs this law, and he sends it out by carriers dispatched to every corner and every part of his kingdom, saying, hey, on the 13th day of the 12th month, like one year from the time he was signing it, just, just less than a year, all of you who know Jews, who own Jews, who employ Jews, who live next to Jews, you're going to kill the Jews, and you can take anything that is theirs as your own. One day, and mass annihilation. So that's where we left off last week. That's what we're going to pick up right now, Esther chapter 4. Y'all, we're going to read some scripture today. We're going right through Esther chapter 4. We'll stop along the way for some field, field trips. Uh, it's going to be a blast. But here's Esther chapter 4. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, pull it out. If you've got the Word of God in your hand, open it up. Otherwise, you can follow on screen. Beginning in verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, 
So when Mordecai heard about Haman's evil plan, the king's edict, you know, written into law, irrevocable, sent out to all the people, when, he, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. The city is the city of Susa. It was the capital of Persia. It's where the king's palace was, so the king resided there. It was the important city in all those miles of kingdom. Verse 2, but he, Mordecai, went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was a, there was a great mourning among the Jews. With fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So how many of y'all put sackcloth on to come to worship today? Nobody? I could tell if you did because you'd be the ones wincing and wriggling in your chairs. Sackcloth was something that people wore to show they were grieving. Sackcloth and ashes. It was a Jewish custom that they maintained even though they were living in exile all these years away from their, their homeland. Sackcloth was not comfortable. Duluth Trading Company is not sending you any, any of that to put on, right? Some of you have seen the Christmas commercials. They're already started. So, so, so what sackcloth was, it was made out of goat's hair. Have y'all ever, y'all ever pet a goat? Right? We often think of the shepherds in the Bible as sheep. They were. They also had a lot of goats. Goat hair is not like wool. It's not like warm and fuzzy and you want to cuddle up to it. Goat's hair is coarse and tough. And so they would take goat's hair and they would weave it into material and they would make fabric out of it. It was made, guess what the sack was used, guess what the cloth was used for? Sackcloth. Sackcloth. Sacks, right. It was a great, it was rough, tough, and like, it was like boys' jeans ought to be. Like, you can't tear that stuff. And, and they, they made sacks out of this stuff. But when people were grieving, when people felt like their lives were, were taken out of their control. When people were going through the worst things of their lives, the Jews especially, they would put on sackcloth to show their suffering and their grief. And they would sprinkle or cover themselves with ashes because that was going back to like in their, test, their, their, their Bible, the Old Testament, um, our first part of our Bible, to dust you have come, to dust you will return. And they were being reminded this is part of our mortality and this is hard and this hurts. And so I, I don't think, we, we don't grieve like that today. Like when we grieve, we don't let anybody know except the people who are closest to us. Like, nobody knows, Kylie, your life's a mess. But maybe we should, right? Maybe you should start wearing sackcloth when you lead worship. You could have had it on today because it was a rough morning. But back in that day, they wanted people to know when they were going through, like, hey, I got the worst news in my life. My child passed away, or my aunt just got cancer, or, or my entire nation, my entire people is about to be annihilated. Those were hard things. And so they, they put on sackcloth and put on ashes. And so that's what, that's what that was all about. Let's pick up in verse 4, very next verse. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Did anything strike you as odd about this? Why didn't Esther know? Right? I mean, Esther's living in the palace where Haman's plan was told to the king, where the king signed it into law, from where he sent all of his riders out. To, this was the talk of town. 
All, all of the town, all of Susa was, was in bewilderment, it says in Scripture, when he signed this and sent it out. But here's Esther. She's like, I don't know why Mordecai's doing this. Apparently, apparently Esther and Xerxes don't talk a whole lot. You're going to hear a little more about that in a few moments. But for some reason, she has no idea about Haman's evil plan. Up until now, nobody knew she was Jewish. So nobody really thought to warn her. But the reality is she, she was clueless about this. But when she got word about Mordecai grieving and mourning, she wanted to know why. So she sent her servant Hathak to find out. Here's what happened. Verse 6. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So here's Mordecai. And he finds himself living in a place he never would have wanted, he never would have chosen, but this has become his ordinary. He knows that in little less than a year that he and all his people are scheduled to die by the hands of the people they live nearby. Here he is stuck in an ordinary he has no control over. So he asks Esther for help. Here's what happened when Hathak went back to Esther. Verse 9. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai. See, they, didn't have, they weren't texting. <laughs> they didn't even have tin cans and string, right? This is send my servant back and forth and back. You ever play Chinese telephone? Don't you wonder if this ever got messed up along the way? <laughs> what, what did Mordecai say? I'll, I'll wing it, right? I think, I think because of the level of order of this, he memorized every single word. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. 30 days. Now, husbands, I don't know about y'all, but 30 minutes, like after 30 minutes of not seeing my wife, I'm like, I just need to get beside, I need to hear her voice. I, I just love Marsha. I, I don't want to be away from her ever. And I know y'all feel the exact same way about your wives, right? Okay, ladies, you might want to question your husband because I did not hear many affirmations on that. But for 30 days, she's not even been summoned to go see the king. What it shows us, you know, is, is, is the first of three moves in, in this step of direction, make a plan. Remember, the first step was conviction, take a stand. Second step is direction, make a plan. And there are three mo moves in this second step that will make sure that your plan uh, will move you in the right direction. So, so last week... I invited y'all to take a stand. I invited you last week at the end of the message. Some of you, even physically, you came up and you just lying. This whole front of the stage it was so cool. God was moving. And you said, I'm going to take a stand. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to make a stand on some conviction about what I believe is true now for my life. And, and God was doing something in you as you came up. But what do you, what do, you do next? Like, what's your next step? Because it can't just stop here at the front of the altar. What, what do you do after this? Well, that's what we're about to find out. So here, here's the, the first move to figure that out. Number one, 
plan from your position. Plan from your position. In other words, know where you are. Know where you're starting from. Know what this move is going to mean. You know, getting from point A to point B, you need to know what A and B are. It's so easy in today's culture to get anywhere, right? You just, you know, tap on ways or, or talk to Siri, get Google Maps up, and you can say, hey, I want to get to this point, and it takes you right and shows you, you know, where to go. But back in the day, before we had Google and, and Siri and, and Waze, you know what we had? These things called maps, right? How many of y'all remember maps? They started this big. And then they ended up this big, and they never got this big ever again without scissors. And there were times I was tempted, but we used to have maps, and we'd have a map to tell us where we were going. And then maps got really, really great when they invented atlases. Like when Marsh and I used to drive down to Georgia, or from Georgia back up to Pennsylvania, we had an atlas which took a map and put it in a book form. So it didn't have to be this big, it was like this big, and we knew which page was Georgia, and which page was West Virginia, which page was Pennsylvania. We had them earmarked, you know, tagged down, and on every the page we used, we had highlighted with a yellow, yellow highlighter, because we had highlighters in those days. It was not that far back. And, and we'd highlight, and, and, and green meant like, well, we tried this route one. Never do that one again. X that one out. So we had atlases, and then, and then, and then, the greatest of all those inventions came out, the AAA tip triptych. How, how many of y'all remembering using triptychs? Some of you are like, I'm, I'm, I'm 20. I have no idea what that means. I'm 30. I, I'm 40. I have no idea what that means, right? Triptychs were like, they took the map, then the atlas, and they put it into a handheld size little GPS on paper. It did not talk to you, but it got you where you wanted to go. And you remember what you did? Hey, AAA, I'm, I'm going from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, down to Thomasville, Georgia. I need, I need a trip to get me there. Sure thing, Mr. Phipps will get that ready. Come on, in two hours, we'll have it ready for you. So you had to drive down to, to AAA, and they would have this little page, pack of pages ready for you, and they stand behind the counter, and they would hand it to you on the counter, but they'd spin it around so you could see it with a magic marker or a highlighter in their hand, and they would say, now, when you get around this city, you want to take this bypass, and they would actually highlight it for you. It was the best thing ever. Because these things, they gave you every route, every road, every turn. It didn't talk to you, but it got you where you wanted to go. But the first thing they always asked you was what? Where are you starting from? Because I was page number one in a triptych. You, you can say, hey, I, I want to go to Thomasville, Georgia. They cannot, they cannot give you a triptych because they don't know where you're starting from. GPS does the same thing. You type in where you want to go, but you know GPS always asks for first? Current location, right? GPS always needs to know where you're starting from so it knows what road to take you on, what construction to avoid, and what tolls are waiting ahead of you. And your journey from ordinary to extraordinary is the same way. You need to know where you're starting from, whether it's in a relationship or coming out of a relationship, whether it's, it's a new job or a new position at your job, or maybe it is a new walk with Jesus, a new walk or a deeper walk with Jesus. You need to know where you're starting from. You plan from your position. When, when Mordecai made this request of Esther, he's like, hey, Esther, Here's what's happening. You've not heard about it yet, apparently. I don't know how, but you need to know all of us as Jews are going to be killed on a certain day. So go to the king and beg him to spare our lives. That, that made sense, right? And it felt easy. Hey, just he's your husband. Go talk to him. Go beg him, whatever it takes. 
because we're going to be killed if you don't. But Esther recognized two things about her current position. Number one, she was a Jew. No one else knew that yet, but she knew it. She was a Jew. Didn't matter that she was a queen. Didn't matter that she lived in the palace. Didn't matter that her husband was the king. She was still a Jew. She was on the schedule to be killed. Now, if she wasn't a Jew, her plan may have had a different direction. But she knew where she started from. She was part of the annihilation. Now, the second thing that she knew about her starting position was this. She understood that nobody, not Haman, the the high official, not any of the other nobles or princes, nobody could just casually stroll in and say, King, we need to talk. Because if you did that, it, it was just the Persian way. You could be killed. Like, what if, what if the king had a bad night's sleep and wasn't in a good mood? What, what, what if the king didn't like what he had for lunch yesterday? He was a bad mood. What if the king, you know, thought he was getting one drink from Starbucks, but it was the wrong TikTok drink. It was, he, didn't, he didn't want that one. He got the wrong one. You didn't know what you're walking into when you went to the presence of the king. And if he did not extend the gold scepter to you, you were killed. Esther knew exactly where she was starting from. She had to know that before she made her plan. So what's your starting point? Make sure you plan from your position. Jump down now with me to verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. So he made the request to her. So now here's her reply back. She said, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Friends, in these last three verses of the chapter are the next two moves you need to make uh, in, in your plan to make sure you're in the right direction. Move number one was plan from your position. Here's move number two. Plan with a partner. Plan with a partner. The very first thing Esther did after knowing her starting point was invite others into the journey. Did you catch that? Hey, Mordecai, I need you to do this. I need you to fast for me. Pray for me. And by the way, Mordecai, I need more than just you. Go recruit all the other Jews. Go recruit all the other Jews and all of Susa. And for the next three days, day and night, don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Pray and fast for me because I'm going to carry the burden as I move from ordinary to extraordinary. When you begin your journey, whether it's getting closer to Jesus, looking for a new job, how to get out of a relationship, into a relationship, whatever it is, remember this. With is always better than without when it comes to people on the journey with you. With is always better than without. Invite people you trust into the journey with you. Invite their voices to speak into your journey. And listen, this is so, so important. I I talk to people uh, so often who are on a journey of some sort, and I say, well, who's in this with you? And if they can name anybody, I ask them who it is. Like, does this person love Jesus? You might say, well, why is that important? Because people who love Jesus and people who don't love Jesus have different worldviews. And if you're going to make a journey as a follower of Jesus, you want people speaking into your life that have biblical worldviews. People speaking into your life that will come come at it from the perspective of Jesus. So if you're making a journey from ordinary to extraordinary, whatever that journey is for you, then make sure you get some 
people who follow Jesus, who you trust to be a part of your journey alongside of you. Hey, friends, this, by the way, this is, let me just give a shout out to life groups. This is one of the reasons, one of the reasons we developed life groups, because we believe that life happens better together. We believe that, that faith happens better together. We believe that growth happens faster together, and discipleship happens better in a group than it does individually. So if you're not yet in a life group, let me encourage you and invite you to check them out. We have a lot of life groups that are meeting different days and evenings of the week. And if you want to invite some people into your journey, that's a great way, a great way to do it. So that was uh, move number two. Here's move number three to make sure your path sets you up in the right direction. Number one was plan from your position. Number two, plan with a partner. And here's number three, plan for your purpose. Like just, just like you have to know where you're going to start, Plan for where you, you want to end. Your plan has to land you in your purpose. And your purpose is derived from your conviction. For example, how many of y'all are husbands? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you want to be the best husband that you can be? Raise your hands. Almost the same number. Almost good. Okay, great. <laughs> if your goal is to be the best husband you can be, if maybe you've not been the greatest husband or you've been a good husband, but you want to get better at it, like you're just stuck in the ordinary of being husband, but you want to really, really, really bless your wife to be the best husband that you can be, then your plan to get there had better put you in the direction of landing there to be the best husband. So your plan is probably not going to include things like flirting with other women, right? Or speaking ugly to your wife. Your plan is going to include things like, how can I bless my wife? How many of y'all vacuumed your house this morning before church? I got one hand up. Two of us, buddy. We got two. Okay. Two of us did that this morning. I, I, don't know what your, I don't know what your plan needs to be, but it needs to land you where your conviction tells you you need to land. And so you plan with your purpose as your end goal. Friends, this is exactly what we're doing at Grace Collective as, as a church. Listen, our conviction is this. We stand on this squarely and unashamedly that we believe that God's goal for us as followers of Jesus is to make disciples. It's not to grow a church. It's to build a kingdom. It's not to care for the 99 alone, but actually that one is greater than 99. Now that freaks you out because you learned in math, 99 is greater than one. But we believe in God's economy, one is greater than 99. Jesus told us that, so I believe it to be true. We believe that our goal as Grace Collective Church is to reach the lost while we still grow disciples. I, it's, like a, it's like a double impact how are we going to make new and better disciples at the same time? We believe it and stand on the conviction that we are called to reach those who are not yet followers of Jesus and turn them into disciples of Jesus. We believe that we designed like upstairs with that in mind where you get to take a peek. By the way, I'm going to steal Kylie's thunder. She'll repeat it in a few moments. How many of you want to peek upstairs at how it's coming along? Okay, the ticket today is a chair. You want to see what it looks like upstairs? You are so welcome to be able to, after worship, carry your chair, and you may see what it looks like upstairs. Otherwise, like four of us are going to carry all these chairs up, and you don't want that to happen, I know, right? But we have designed upstairs with that goal in mind. By the way, we do not design upstairs to please you. We designed upstairs to attract people who don't love Jesus yet. So that's why we do what we do. So uh, you, you get to see that. It's not done. Um, about 85% will be done by the time we move in next week, maybe some more. 
um, but it looks really great. We invite you to come upstairs and look at it. If you can carry a chair, we appreciate you doing that. We're two. We're five. Uh, but this is why we, do, we stand here as a church. So, so our direction, our direction is to reach the lost, believing that the one is greater than 99 because Jesus told us to. And so what we do is we plan in that direction with everything that we do. Again, life groups are so vital because you're unchurched. How many of you have unchurched family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, teammates? If you're not raising your hand, start living life because you're surrounded by more unbelievers. 75% of the people around you are not in a relationship with Jesus. 25% are, and that's loose. They will not come to church as much as they'll come to your house in a small group setting. That's why life groups, again, are so vital. If you're not in one, I encourage you to get in one. But this is what we do. You plan for your purpose. You stand on your conviction, and you keep your purpose at the center of your sights. Plan for your purpose. Now, I don't know what your journey looks like. You may have different parts of your journey going on this morning. Like some of it may be in job world. Some might be in in kid world or family world or spouse world, wherever, wherever your journey, wherever you've got some destination from ordinary to extraordinary. Um, but I, I will tell you this, the most important journey you will ever take from ordinary to extraordinary is in your relationship with Jesus. And maybe whether you're online watching this morning or you're here and you're not in relationship with Jesus, I just want to invite you this morning to start the journey from ordinary to extraordinary. Jesus has the the power and the authority and the love and the grace to move you in any of the journeys you're on right now. But the one he cares about the most is the one he wants to have with you, to be in relationship with you. And maybe you're here or online and you're like, I'm already in relationship with Jesus. Okay, let's, t- let's take it deeper. Let's go further. Let's find out more about who Jesus is and what he wants you to do. Listen, you can do that when you surrender your life again and again and again to Jesus. So this morning... What we want to do is encourage you, whether it's for the first time or for the 100th time, is to make sure you're on that journey from ordinary to extraordinary, your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if, if that's a decision you need, need to make today, uh, we're going to make sure you, we start you off in the right direction in just a moment. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your chairs. I'm not going to ask you to move. I'm just going to ask you to bow. I'm going to ask you to pray. And this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you can do this live or online. I think God works through, through uh, the Internet just as much as he does in, in the air between us. If you want to d- give your life to Jesus today, we will be here for you, and we would applaud you and begin the journey with you. If you want to take your life deeper with Jesus today, that is a great opportunity also. Let's make sure that you're, you're walking into this journey very, very well. And that means uh, making a plan getting the right direction for your life. Let's start with this prayer. Feel free to pray along with me just in your silent voice, in your, in your heart, in your head. Jesus, I need to be in a better relationship with you or maybe this morning, Jesus, for the first time, I need to be in a relationship with you. And Jesus, I know my starting point. I'm a mess. My life is not what it should be or could be. I don't think it's ever been what you intended it to be. And Lord, I've just accepted that as my ordinary. But today I've heard something different, that I don't have to stay there. That in spite of who I've been and what I've done, that in spite of what's been done to me, in spite of what I haven't done, you have a better plan for my life. 
And Lord, I, I own it living in your plan for my life. And so, Lord, I'm willing to take a step this morning from ordinary to extraordinary. And Jesus, I don't have to feel different. I don't have to look different. I just need to know that you're different. You're different from every other voice and every other strength I've ever had in my life. And as I step into this moment, Jesus, with you, I am choosing to trust you, to walk with me, because you, you say in your word, Jesus, that you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. That you will never leave us or forsake us. That you stick closer to us than a brother. God, there's so many promises about you being with us. And so I'm going to trust that today, that you will walk with me in this journey that I may be starting or restarting in my relationship with you. So Jesus, I am yours. Do with my life as you please. In your name, Jesus, I pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, before we let you get into worship and start picking up chairs, uh, let me just give you the weekly ask for this week. You know, we try to throw this in nearly every single week so you don't just sit here and listen, but you take something home with you and it makes a difference in your life starting like today. So three questions to start. Number one, what journey are you on? Name it and claim it. What, what, what journey are you on? Is it, is it something in work world, marriage world, kid world? Is it your faith world? What journey are you on and, and who's on it with you? Number two, what's your starting point? Take a good, honest look at where you're starting. Where is it that you're pushing off from? Make sure you understand that. And number three, what's your ending place? What's your goal? Where do you want to end up? Make sure it's built on your conviction. So that's your weekly ask. And number four is a talking point. And this is for parents who have kids in crew or your kids are online on Wednesday night at crew or here um, practice. But talking point this week is doing what God asks you to do. Sit down and talk to your kids about the importance of that and what you've, how you've lived that out in your life and how they can do the same thing even in their young lives, how important it is to do what God asks us to do, like Queen Esther did. And we'll get into that a little bit more next week. Friends, we're going to have a little bit more time of worship. I'm going to invite you to stand and just join the team as they lead us in a couple more songs. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.